As our children leave for Children's Church, I want to welcome you to Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You'll find, as always, the friendship registers on the side aisle. If you'll take them, fill them out, pass them along. When they get to the end, you can look at it, and you can pass it back and see who it is that uh, you're worshiping with this morning. Take some time, perhaps, afterwards to greet each other. Uh, a number of notices this morning uh, in our um, inserts and our bulletin and so forth. Remember, immediately following this service, thereabouts, during our Sunday school hour, 9.45-ish, we'll start a time together of a servant service of ordination. Uh, we're privileged, um, the God we believe has called uh, three more men to join with our elders to oversee the life and ministry of our, our church, Michael Bolton and Todd Cook and Dan Wethington. And so we're going to spend that time during the Sunday school hour rather than being in Sunday school with each other, but uh, to be here and to, uh, to have this uh, very brief, probably, time of ordination, but, but a good time. And so I invite you, encourage you to stay after this uh, service, to be a part of that as well. But you'll see we gather on Wednesday to have dinner together and to, uh, uh, to be together. So you can see the details there. It begins at 6. We'll be finished by, by 7.30 and activities for the kids and basketball leagues and youth stuff with dinner theater and uh, changes in, um, in, our, in our children's uh, ministry and certain things. You can see how we're new check-in system for that. And women's retreat coming up on March the 4th. So for the women of the church, uh, note, uh, note that. VBS, um, this is in June, but uh, we begin thinking about Vacation Bible School now so you can see the details uh, there. So how you can be involved in that and just be aware of what's happening with that, and then, and then this insert uh, concerning Jane and uh, Scott Quidon, dear friends who are ministering um, in Croatia, uh, friends we've known and supported for decades now, and so we're delighted that you would uh, continue your prayers for them and to know them. So, please read through all of that as you have opportunity. But now, let me ask you as we come to the scripture to pray with me, please. Uh, Father in heaven, your grace is overwhelming to us. Please, I pray we never take it for granted. And so now even grant grace to us that we can think together through uh, a passage of scripture, uh, a part of what is your word to us. Again, as we Marvel of your great election to call those even to believe in you whom you've chosen before the foundations of the world. We recognize that this moment was ordained as well and that this moment was ordained that you would be glorified, your people would be blessed and so uh, we can do nothing other than to trust you that that will take place. So help us now with anticipation uh, as we come to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 11, please. I want to read verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians and chapter 11, please. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 1. I wish you would bear with me a little, in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, 
since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I, because I do not love you? God knows that I do. And what I am doing, I'll continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, uh, dis- disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their their deeds. Wow. All right. (laughs) So take a deep breath. After having read uh, read that, um, this uh, these verses we're working our way through Second Corinthians. So these verses are really in preparation for the big hurrah, which is coming. Paul's final defense is final, as he puts it, and we say this in air quotes, uh, boasting. You know how he's going to present his case that he really is, uh, really is an, an apostle. This is helpful for us. Really, because so many times, at least in my life, people challenge the scripture and wonder why it is that we believe it. And who is this Paul guy who seems to write a good bit of the New Testament? Well, this is a very personal letter, as we've said. One of the reasons we've come to this is, is just to see, uh, the, how, how, to, to learn of, of Paul and, and how God worked through him and through that to learn of God, of course. But, but, but this is very personal. We come to, to see uh, this this apostle and and our hope is at least in part to to gain even more confidence in the scripture as the word of God uh, even as Paul has written so this is helpful to us but clearly there's a very solemn uh, warning here about imposters really Paul calls super apostles but we know what he means by that. They're not apostles at all. And so there's this, this warning to us. Nothing new, of course, throughout the scripture. The great danger amongst God's people is false prophets, false teachers, false pastors, false elders, false apostles. People who come and speak that which isn't true, claiming to be from God. 
Uh, it, it, we can go all the way back to the Pentateuch, and a classic uh, passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses is saying, another prophet is going to come like me, and he's, he's going to speak of Christ there. Uh, that, that Christ is going to come, a Messiah, a deliverer like me, but even greater than me, this one is going to come. And, and, and there, there'll be various ones, and they'll speak from God. And if they don't, don't listen to them. Kill them, actually, but, but don't listen to them. Uh, and, and, and others speak throughout. Jeremiah classically speaks of false prophets who will come. Don't listen to them. Jesus himself warns of false prophets and false Christs coming. The Apostle Paul in other places warns of, of false teachers and false prophets and here false apostles. And so the great danger to the church is, is, is to, to lose, if you will, not have placed before us the truth. Because it, it, when it comes down to it, we believe and the one in whom we believe needs to be the true and living one, the real Jesus. If a false Jesus is presented to us, if a false gospel is given to us, and we believe that, we remain in our sins. We're still lost, you see. And so it's necessary for us to really know Jesus, to trust in him, to have the true gospel. And so if you're going to undermine the church the, the place to do that is, is, is in what we believe. And in, most especially, the one in whom we believe. And so, so you can see the, the final sort of word that Paul brings, beginning in verse 13. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if its servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so Paul goes right to the heart of the matter, and he uncovers the source of that which is false, and it goes all the way to the top of evil, Satan himself. And so that's the source of these false apostles. You know, I mean, Paul's been kind of hinting at this as we've been working our way through 2 Corinthians and the second epistle, and, and, and now he gets right at it. There's no question now as to what he thinks of these ones who have come into Corinth and usurped Paul's authority. And remember, this isn't an ego thing for Paul. This is all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what people have before them to believe. It's not about believing Paul or not believing Paul. He doesn't really care that much about himself at all. What he's concerned about really is Jesus and who he is and if people really know him and this this gospel. You might remember Paul makes a similar kind of presentation to the church in Galatia and Galatians and and uh, chapter 1, and uh, in verse 9, he says, And as we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, uh, let him uh, be accursed. And even before that, in verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And Paul says, even if, if I if I get off base here, you you stop believing me, right? It isn't about me; it's about this gospel. 
But he knows what he's received from the other apostles. He knows what he's received from Christ. He knows the teaching of the Old Testament scripture concerning this one who is to come. And Paul knows that he has that gospel from God. And he knows that he's an apostle of Jesus. And so when others come and dilute that or change that in any way, uh, misrepresent that in any way, uh, Paul comes after them. And that's what's happening here um, as, as he writes. And of course, for us, we take this very seriously because we realize... We're, we're no different than the church in Corinth. We're just a group of people who believe in Jesus. And so why would we think that we're any less susceptible than they to, to falsehood or, or believing that which isn't true or embracing uh, someone who comes in the name of Christ who really isn't of, of Christ? So the question for us as we come, as I come to this passage, the question for me is, uh, what helps me here? What protects me here? What do I learn here that will protect me and that, that will, will, will help me? Well, notice just in the first few verses uh, here as we begin that, that Paul, verse 1, he says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Uh, Paul, you, you kind of feel the embarrassment factor here with, with Paul. He doesn't want to have to talk about himself uh, at all. Because he's already shared with them that no one is sufficient for the task of being an apostle or being a teacher. Nobody, nobody's sufficient for that task. Nobody's competent in and of themselves. Uh, only God can work in someone's life. He, he says, he said even of himself, he says, he says, it's, it's the grace, it's by the grace of God. That I am what I am. But this grace was not without effect in me, but it caused me, worked in me in such a way that I worked harder than everyone else. He said, this is the grace of God in me. I I don't want to talk about myself. I don't have to defend myself. I don't want to boast in myself. That's not what it's about. It's not about me uh, at all. I've had opportunity in the course of my life to to examine and interview uh, lots of uh, young men and even older men, but young men for ministry, just happens to be what I've done. And 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 uh, uh, I have to—I I shouldn't tell you this because maybe you'll tell them. But but one of the things that I always look for when I ask them about their call to ministry, I always look for the embarrassment factor. I always look for them to kind of sheepishly say. This is, I, I know this is like really bizarre that God would call me to ministry. I, I don't really know what to say other than I think he has. Now, if I get something like that, I feel really happy. If I get a long list of qualifications, I feel really nervous. Right? Not that there shouldn't be something, not that we aren't looking for certain things. But, but even in talking about those certain things, there always should be and anyone called to any kind of leadership in the context of the church, a real discomfort about that. This is a rather providential passage this morning since we're ordaining some elders. And, uh, and, and I can tell you, each one of these men I, I went to, and we went to uh, early on, and I said, you know, we're, you know, the elders would like you to consider um, being trained to be ordained to be an elder. And each one of these men looked at me like, what? You know, and I thought that's good, that's good. You know, and it, it took a while, kind of to work that through. Nobody said, "Well, sure." And and so that's where Paul is here. He's saying, "I, I feel foolish." 
Now, in a previous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that, that we're fools for Christ. In that context, he was saying that other people think we're foolish. Here he's saying, for me to do this is foolish. For me to lay out my qualifications, I hate to do this. I feel really foolish boasting, but, but, but I guess I'm going to have to do that. So, so he begins to, 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 to feel foolish and then foolishly uh, lay out. But what he says here, and this is something very, very helpful to us, I think, um, that um, he says, this is really true for me. I feel a divine jealousy for you. See, there's a, a sense in which someone like Paul, these apostles and others perhaps even called, there's a certain jealousy. Now, for us, that word it brings up all kinds of red flags. We shouldn't be jealous. And there's a sense we shouldn't. In fact, most of the time, that's a, that's a negative thing when spoken of a human being because our jealousy uh, often comes out of insecurity. So we become possessive or it comes out of fear. We're going to lose something or it comes out of envy. I have to have this because somebody else wants this. So I'm jealous of another person. But, but jealous in the context of real love. Real love is necessary. In fact, when God speaks of himself, he not only says that he's a jealous God, he says, my name is jealous. He says, I'm jealous for your affections. I'm jealous for your souls because I'm jealous for your well-being. That if anything comes against your well-being, I go after that because I'm jealous, if you will, for you. J.I. Packer, of course, he wrote the classic text knowing God writes about the jealousy of God and he puts it like this he says God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration envy and spite as human jealousy so often is but it appears instead as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious and and that's what Paul says when I when I look at you and I look at the church I'm jealous for your well-being I don't want anyone else, anything else, to come in and rob you of that. And then notice how he he lays it out. He says, uh, for I feel uh, a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Um, And and so what he's saying is, I'm I'm rather like your spiritual father, and and you're my spiritual daughter, and and I, I want... I want to betroth you to Jesus and I want you as my daughter to be given to him purely. But you're flirting with somebody else now. You're flirting with another Jesus. You're flirting with another gospel. And, and, and so in this zeal that I have because of my deep love for you, that's why I'm even willing to be foolish for the moment. If, if that will help, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you why I'm really an apostle. I'll, I'll really do that. I don't want to, but I'll, I'll really do that. I'll really play this game with you. You know, you'll do it in a way that will surprise them. But, 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 but I'll really lay this out for you because, because I'm, I'm, I'm jealous for you. Because you see, here's what's really taking place. He said, I'm afraid, verse 3, that as the servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion devotion to Christ he says here's what's happening this is this you got to see this that these false apostles these imposters they're coming and and they're animated not by God but by Satan 
And just as Satan came to Eve in the garden to deceive, these false apostles are deceiving you. You need to be aware of that. When Satan came uh, to, to, to Eve, he said, did God really say? And then, of course, he made a promise that he really couldn't keep. You could be like God. And, and so, so, so she was sucked into that for whatever reason. She was sucked into that. And he said, this is what's taking place here. You need to be aware of that. Don't let... Uh, don't let that, uh, don't let that happen. You see, this isn't just a mistake. This isn't just errors of these, of these false apostles. I mean, uh, we can always be wrong about this and that and the other thing, but, but this is more than that. This is diabolical. This is, this is to lure you away from Jesus. This is in a very real sense, as John would write in 1 John chapter 2, the spirit of Antichrist. Not only against Christ, but to present something other than Christ and to draw you to that rather than to Jesus, uh, to Jesus himself. And, you know, this, 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 these kinds of attacks of the evil one, even and I say even for us, but for them, for Christians still can be appealing, especially as they're if they're clothed in language of faith. An appeal to our self-sufficiency, our self-righteousness still. Sadly, even though we know that we're not righteous in love of the self, even though we know that we need to depend upon Christ and Christ alone, and even though we know we need to abandon all of self-trust, there's, there's still within us this, this desire to be respectable, this desire to be okay, this desire to prove it, this desire to be, to, 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 to be sufficient in ourselves and Often the evil one comes with those kinds of, of, of temptations to us, those, those kinds of flattering words uh, to, uh, to us. And so it's easy to, to, to hear certain biblical allusions, biblical expressions, things that are, are right, and, and twist them in such a way that we, we, we compromise on Jesus um, We know that God loves us, and so from that we go, he wants us to be happy. And therefore, we seek happiness in whatever makes us happy. And he goes, no, 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 no. That's good. I want you to be happy. He does. He wants us to be happy in holiness. He doesn't want anything but holiness (laughs) to result in happiness and contentment and peace and joy and all that. And yet we stop at happiness and the evil one says, well, this will make you happy. Doesn't this make you feel good? Doesn't this make you happy? And we go, well, yeah, therefore it must be from God. But a nickel for every couple that came into me and said, we're just not happy. Therefore, God wants us to divorce. I'd be rich. I mean, you have to be, no, 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 no. Think that through for a minute. Where is your happiness? Where's your joy? Where's your contentment? Where's your peace? Where's that come from in the context of of God? And yet the evil one says, Did God really say? And 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 and, and you can now we find it a, a great deal in people's sexual identity. Well, I'll be happy if no, 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 no. Think that through. Think it through. Don't allow the evil one to come and put this lie in your head. It is true that God does love you. It is true that God seeks your best and your joy, but here's where you'll find it. Not there. We have a tendency not to want to be as believers. The 
malign minority, the misunderstood minority. And so we have a tendency to to want to grab a hold of that which in the culture will make us look good. So sometimes it's easy for us to compromise on, on that which is socially unacceptable, but yet is very much Christian. But it causes us to look bad in the eyes of other people, perhaps. We, we love, sadly, to make, to grab a hold of celebrities who make a profession of faith, even a minimal one, even we just kind of sniff they might have ever been to church before. And so we, we, we want them to, 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 we want to identify with them because it makes us look better, or a political figure because it makes us look better, or sometimes because we desire happiness and, and we don't want to be this maligned minority, we, we grab a hold to politicians that we think could, could perhaps make life better for us. And so we baptize them as believers and are they, but very dangerous for us. Where do we find our hope? Where are we looking for the hope that we have and the happiness that we have in the Lord? It's, it's, it's a danger for the church. It's a danger for the church to, to try to impress See, one of the things about these false apostles was that they really were impressive. And when you really looked at them, you liked them. You wanted to be like them because of the way that they looked. And, and, and they would say, here's our gospel. This will result in you being like us. There's Paul's gospel. It will result in you being like him. We're impressive. He's not. We're, we're, he suffers all the time. You want your life to be like that? As the church, we, we want to look really, really good. We want to attract people with services that appear like concerts and, 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 and are impressive to people. And we miss out often on the simple glory. So Paul says, be careful. Uh, be careful. He says, I'm jealous for you. We mustn't as a church lose our, our jealousy for the souls of people. Uh, I, I worry as, as a, a parent, as a grandparent, I, I, I see it's easy for parents of, of little kids to be jealous for the souls of their children so they never miss an opportunity to have their kids in church or have their or pray with their kids or do Bible study with their kids. But as their kids get older, the, 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 the temptation, the difficulty is uh, that sometimes church activities or spiritual activities or any of that gets in the way of, of being accepted by their peers or being socially well accepted or being on a team. And so we can compromise there and I wonder if we're as zealous and as jealous for our children's souls as as they grow older as we are when they're when they're younger. And what about ourselves? I don't know about if you look into your life. Where do where do you find it easy to, to compromise? Where do you find these temptations easy to to follow from the evil one, the flattery, the cunning, the be careful. Paul says. 
And he talks about the great danger. Verse 4, he says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. There's a sense in which these others have come and they've proclaimed uh, another Jesus, a different Jesus. They've proclaimed a different uh, gospel and come with a, a different spirit. So, so, so that exists, you see, even in the life of the church. Who is this Jesus? We must be very uncompromising to who he really is. Yes, he was born of a virgin. Yes, he really is one person, two natures. Yes, he is God. Yes, he is man. We mustn't ever, ever minimize any of that. Yes, he is the and one and only Savior. He isn't just simply a good teacher. He isn't just simply a good example for us. We need more than to be taught. We need more than just an example. We need someone to come and rescue us and come and save us. And he did it. And, and how could he do that? Because he was the one and only one who could possibly represent God to us, represent us to God. Uh, he's the only one who is worth us all. He's the only one who could take the penalty for our sin and, and pay for it and live because he had no sin in himself. He's the only one who could be the pathfinder for us and the one who would go before us as the pioneer and lead us into life and to lead us into truth. That very Jesus and the spirit that we receive from him is the Holy Spirit. It's not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of freedom. It's not a spirit of slavery, but, but one that enables us to be free from the guilt and from the wrath of God and all of that and free from the bondage to sin. And so that's it, you see. Paul says, no, if you... Trust in yourself and trust this other Jesus, then you'll be in bondage, you see. And then he goes on to say it's a a different gospel even. We mustn't ever lose sight of the fact that the word gospel means news. And it's good news. It's a declaration to us, the gospel is, that something's happened. That an event has taken place. And that event that's taken place in the death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. We must never lose sight of that, of that fact that something happened. And we didn't contribute to it, really, at all. We didn't do it. Jesus did it. There's nothing that we contribute to that. We don't bring anything to it other than our sin, of course, but, 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 but he did it. And it's, it's that gospel. So we don't bring our merit to it or the merit of anyone else other than Jesus. So we don't depend on anything that we've done that's good. We don't depend upon the fact that, oh, we're going to make it better in the future. Oh, there's this one commandment I need to obey. There's one ceremony I need to go through. Uh, none of that. It's an event took place wherein something actually happened, which was the sins of sinners were actually paid for by Jesus. The wrath of God actually, you know, the big word, propitiated, satisfied, and uh, extinguished, actually happened. And we come in thanks. To turn away from self-trust and trust in Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's the only gospel. Any other gospel is from the evil one. And not good news at all. So Paul says you have to, you have to really realize that. And then Paul makes a, a kind of a self-defense here. He says, 
As indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge indeed in every way. We've made this plain to you in all things. He says, I brought this gospel to you, and I know I'm not impressive. I know that. And I know they really are. That doesn't mean that there aren't some apostles, maybe amongst the ones, or even some ministers and some elders in these days who aren't pretty impressive. I remember there was a story told about Billy Graham early in his ministry when he had the, the, the uh, Great Crusade in, in, uh, in L.A. There were a number of Hollywood producers that were after him. Because they thought he'll be great on the big screen, not as a preacher, but as an actor. Because he was handsome and he was articulate and he was commanding. And uh, the story goes that when he was told of that and when producers came to him to try to entice him into a different field, Billy Graham just looked at him quizzically. Like, what? It meant nothing to him. He didn't depend on any of that at all. He trusted that it was the gospel that drew people not not him. So Paul said, you know, I have knowledge, however. I know God. I've received his message. And we always must look for men who know God. They may or may not be cute. They may or not be impressive. They may or may not be terribly articulate. They may, may not be commanding, but, but what we need to look for is people who really know God. That's the question. Can I give you just a soapbox for a minute? Just a real quick one. I, I just have a deep concern about the church, especially going on, about having a clergy, for instance, that is relatively uneducated, that doesn't attend good seminaries. I continue to meet uh, church planters and other ministers who, who, who really have never been formally trained. And, and it's not the seminaries that be all and end all. Trust me, there's bad ones. And it doesn't make a, a person uh, a pastor. And it doesn't cause someone to really deeply know God. I get that. But there's something to having stopped and studied and been evaluated by really, really good people of God. And so just watch for that as you move from here, perhaps travel the world. Uh, ask that question of leaders in the church. Uh, where have you been trained? That's a helpful, that's a helpful question. But Paul says, I know God, and you know where he was trained. Uh, he was trained by the Lord Jesus and he, by the apostles and certainly even in the Old Testament. And so, so Paul says, I really know God. I've had experiences with him too. And I'll be able to share those with you. And so please, we must take note of that to follow those who really know God. Again, it's easy in the church, and this happens so often that we follow celebrities. Trust me, you know this. If an athlete or an entertainment person or a politician professes faith in Christ, they'll have the biggest platform from which to speak even though they may not know much. <laughs> and we're more likely to go listen to that one than we are to someone who deeply has walked with Christ, though perhaps not very impressive in their person. So let's be cautious, Paul says, about, about, about all of that. 
And he says, I came to you free of charge because I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm, I'm willing not to confuse the gospel. I want you to know that I'm here because I'm jealous for your souls, because I, I love you. I robbed other churches. Other people supported me. I worked with my own hands. I know you're not, you didn't like that. And I know these other apostles are coming and they're well paid and, 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 and all of that. But he says, I came because I really cared for the gospel to go forward. And remember, when I came here, there wasn't a church to support me. When I came here, you didn't exist as a church, people of Corinth. And so, so, so don't criticize me. It's okay to earn a living by the gospel. He defends that in various ways, in various places in his letters. But he says, I didn't want to confuse you about that and I'll continue to do this as I will. But then the linchpin for his argument, very bluntly, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And again, just like their father, just like Satan. Uh, Paul is so blunt. I, I for one, was slapped in the face as I read through uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Familiar passage, but, but the bluntness of Paul, verse 14 of chapter 6 Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Uh, He he gets really blunt there, you know. This is (laughs) Paul's one religious leader that um, doesn't think it disgraceful to uh, question another man's faith. But here he is. Saying, these are from Satan. And we don't have any part with them. We don't have any part with their gods. Now, we need to love our enemies, even love our enemies, who are enemies of the cross of Christ, and be kind to them. Tolerant in that sense, but not tolerant in the sense that we accept their gods, that we think their gods have anything at all to do with the true and living God. And so Paul says, no. It's from Satan himself and their, their end, you see, will correspond to their deeds. And we know from the scripture that their end is destruction. What's the antidote to all of this? Well, the antidote to all of this, to come against the evil one, as we know, and Paul put it rather succinctly in Ephesians chapter 6, and we can, we can uh, think that through. But he says, always make sure that you know the truth. The belt, the belt of truth. Make sure you know the truth. And we say, well, how do we put on the belt of truth? <laughs> By studying the scripture. Right? By learning. You must have the breastplate of righteousness. Well, how do we get that? Well, by knowing from the scripture and the spirit at work in you. That your righteousness is only from Christ. And if ever you, you, you hear anything other than that, then you know it isn't true because you have secure, you know that your righteousness is from Christ and from Christ alone. That, 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 that your foundation, your shoes, if you will, your feet are on them, the, the very gospel of peace. You know that there's peace with God only through the work of Christ and faith in him, you, you, you know that. You have a, a shield that, that's faith and faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and you know all of that because you have 
uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and, and prayer. And so you prayerfully take up the word and you ask God to, to teach you and to help you. And, and yes, he gives us shepherds and he gives apostles and he gives us uh, uh, pastors and leaders. And, and we, we ask this question of them. Do they know the truth, the real truth? Do they understand? Do they know? Is their teaching consistent with the fact that righteousness is from Christ and Christ alone? Do they have the real, true gospel? This event that took place that accomplished the, 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 the salvation, really, of those who would believe. Do they believe? Do they teach that it's by faith? Do they uphold the truth of the word of God? Do they pray? Are they jealous for the souls of people? Not for their own affirmation. Not for their own life. But rather for the souls, for the hearts of others. May I show you Jesus. The truth, the gospel. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The apostle adds, for as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes, Paul says. And I have given to you that which I have received. That Christ Jesus died according to the scriptures. And on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. That Jesus, who gave himself, that Jesus, who rose again, that gospel, that is declared, that says something happened, that the very son of God, was made man, dwelt among us, gave himself. And when he did, atonement for sin was made. And we know atonement for sin was made because when it was made, he was released and was raised from the dead and ascends and rules and reigns in glory from he will return someday to bring to fruition all that he has done. We bring nothing to that. But we receive it. If anyone tells you anything else, don't believe them. Let's pray, Father. Pray for me, for us. 
that we would trust in Christ and Christ alone. Please protect us, I pray. Bring to us the truth. Give to us discerning hearts and minds. We would turn away from that which is false and embrace only that which is true. We would not receive another Jesus, but this Jesus. Not another spirit, but his spirit. Not another gospel, but the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sealed to us on this day. That gospel. And even as we believe. To receive. So please I pray you'd set apart this bread and this juice in such a way that. uh, We would. That we would really have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you would bring to us and mature our faith. And that you would grant grace to us to believe strongly so that nothing would dilute this faith and lead us astray. This I pray in Jesus' name.